What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you to break down a heck of a night at the ballpark. Tuesday, June 14th, evening time. What a day it was. Eventful day at Bush Stadium. The doubleheader between the Cardinals and the Pirates. We're here to break down both games, really, but... I think many of you would agree that the second game, the nightcap, was really the most eventful one of the two as Miles Michaelis came oh so close to breaking the kind of streak that we don't really love to talk about in St. Louis. The Cardinals have not had a no-hitter thrown in quite some time. September 3rd, 2001, Bud Smith with the most recent no-hitter by a Cardinals pitcher. And Miles Michaelis darn near bridged that gap this evening, 21 years later, nearly eight and two-thirds innings before giving up his first and only hit of the night. A ground rule double to Cal Mitchell just over the outstretched glove of Harrison Bader in center field. Oh, man, he came so close. I really was convinced he was going to do it. I thought this was going to be the night that Cardinals fans got to see their first no-hitter in nearly 21 years. It was not to be like the ill-fated attempt by Michael Waka some number of years ago, eight and two-thirds before giving up the hit. He had given up a run already in this game, Miles Michaelis had. A fourth-inning fielding error led to the Pirates getting a base runner at second base. A couple of ground outs later, they had scored a run, but couldn't get the hit. And Miles Michaelis continued through this game I joked on KTGR on the big show this afternoon after we had seen the Cardinals take down the Pirates in game one on Tuesday, three to one, and you saw all the big name relievers come into that game. Genesis Cabrera, Ryan Helsley, Gio Gallegos, all of them pitched, and I believe it was a back-to-back for all of them as well because the three of those pitchers all saw action in Monday night's win over the Pirates at Bush Stadium, and so... Seeing that, you think, yeah, Miles Michaelis might have the whole darn game tonight. And there aren't very many pitchers for whom you could say that about and not necessarily be jesting, not necessarily be joking about it. But in Michaelis's case, I think that was fair. And I even went so far as to tweet it out this evening before first pitch of game two and said, so everybody in agreement that the closer for the Cardinals tonight is Miles Michaelis? Like, everybody good with that? And Cardinals manager Oliver Marmel was good with it to an extent, right? Don't give up a hit, and I'll leave you in there. But the pitch count was getting pretty tremendously high for Michaelis. And so once that that double drops in over the head of Harrison Bader, they decided in an, in an eight-run game. It was 9-1 to one Cardinals by this point. We'll get into Paul Goldschmidt's day as well, by the way. Don't think I've forgotten about him, but Michaelis certainly... I mean, if... It takes a lot probably to uh, steal the headlines, make make the lead be something other than what Paul Goldschmidt did offensively today. But that's what Miles Michaelis did. So we're going to give him his due with a, a real tremendous performance. Could have been two consecutive complete games for Michaelis. Remember last week against Tampa Bay down in Florida against the Rays, he went eight innings and that was good enough for a complete game because the Cardinals offense did not back him up that day He gave up a two-run homer, and so Cardinals lost that game, even though Michaelis went eight innings and and got a complete game out of it. 
tonight, Michaelis almost did it again and with style, huh? Six strikeouts, just the one walk against Michaelis on the day. There were a couple of errors against the Cardinals' defense. Yepes had one. Brendan Donovan apparently had another that was a little bit of a tough play. Uh, but, but at the time, you're thinking, well, good. Give him an error on it because you don't want to uh, – you don't necessarily want to break up the no-hitter based on that, right? If they're going to give it an air, give it an air. And, man, I, I thought for sure once Michaelis got through the seventh, I was like, yeah, he's going to do this. I was pretty confident. And I don't believe in the jinxes. I didn't. I don't think I tweeted specifically the word no-hitter. Maybe in a reply to somebody I did. Everybody handles it differently. I like to poke fun and, and kind of dance around the notion. But everybody knows it's going on. And, and Miles Michaelis, if anybody I wouldn't be worried about jinxing a no-hitter, it's Miles Michaelis because – He's as loose with it as anybody could be during a game. He even made the comment to the cat on the uh, post-game interview on the field that he doesn't really like the superstition surrounding a no-hitter and that nobody on your team is going to talk to you when you're in the dugout. He said, I like talking to people during the game. Kind of kind of stinks that nobody wanted to talk to me. Part of that might be tongue-in-cheek. But Michael, I really do believe that he's just good with going with the flow and so I don't, I don't think he's a guy that you necessarily uh, would have to be too concerned about with the, the, the jinxing aspect of it. And really, it came down to a, a fly ball to relatively deep center field. And Harrison Bader was playing shallow, as you probably tend to do in a no-hitter situation. You don't want a no-hitter to end on something weak, right? A, a pop-up in a shallow center that the shortstop and the second baseman converge on, can't get to, center fielder comes up short. That's not really the way you want it to go down. And so... They went down swinging, and Cal Mitchell went down swinging. The rookie, ground rule double, just over the glove of Bader. Bader has such good range, such good speed, good anticipation. It was, I think the ball hit the track before it went over the wall, and if it's a ground rule double, you know it had to be hit relatively deep. And so that's not one I'm looking at Bader going, why didn't you catch that? I'm sure that's the way he probably views it. He wanted to be able to preserve the no-hitter for his guy. How great would that have been? I mean, if you're Harrison Bader, how great would you feel if you are able to make Maybe what would have been a, a leaping or a diving catch to to end a no hitter. That's what that's what you dream of as an outfielder and as a guy like Harrison Bader, who is such a good defensive outfielder with such good range. I guarantee you that would have made his personal highlight highlight reel as a Mount Rushmore kind of play. If Harrison Bader could have hauled it in, it was just a little bit deep over his glove, couldn't get there, and that's just one of those things. Like I don't think it was a mistake to have him playing shallow like he was. Cal Mitchell put a good swing on the ball. I think I saw somebody said it had an XBA expected batting average of over 500. So, I mean, th that's a hit more than half the time. More than half the time where center fielders play, the guys aren't able to get back on that ball at, at the launch angle and the exit velocity that it was hit. So, it's just one of those things. And uh, overall, we should be, you know, you should be feeling good, I think, about the day for the Cardinals and, and about the way this team is playing right now. I think you're seeing some really good signs offensively in particular. And, like, the job of the starting rotation we can talk about as well, but Miles Michaelis, yes. Eight and two-thirds innings to follow up a, a start where he went eight strong in Tampa. You feel really good about that portion of the rotation. You feel really good about Adam Wainwright, at least I do. Feel good about Dakota Hudson, the way he's coming on strong. I mean, you've got you've got something brewing right now with the Cardinals rotation, and, of course, we got Jack Flaherty to talk about making his start on Wednesday, his first start of the season for the Cardinals. That is going to be exciting to watch down at Bush. He won't be able to follow up the effort by Miles Michaelis because I think he's going to be limited to about 60 pitches. So there won't be any no-nos uh, going on tomorrow at Bush unless the Pirates throw one, which that would be a surprise. 
But Miles Michaelis, he's been fantastic. 2.62 ERA now following his effort on Tuesday. 5-4 and four on the season. Forget the record. He's been really, really good. He's been all-star caliber, honestly. If Michaelis can put together a couple more good quality outings before July, calendar turns to July, and then you start to really think about what that all-star pitching staff looks like, I think Michaelis definitely deserves some consideration with the way he's throwing the ball right now. It's just so easy for him. He just he just makes it so easy. I know the pitch count got up there. I, I haven't said what it was yet. 129 officially. 81 strikes, 129 pitches, and then Packy Naughton came in for the final out, three pitches. <laughs> really good stuff from Miles Michaelis. you got to feel good about the way he's throwing the ball. Again, you got Wainwright, you got Hudson, who's really coming along strong. Let's talk about Matthew Libertor. He pitched game one today for the Cardinals, five scoreless innings. Second time he's done that this season, but I think this was a even maybe a little bit more impressive, though the other five-inning outing that he had that was scoreless came against the Milwaukee Brewers. That's a, a more quality team than the Pirates, but I think it was just important for him to have a good outing to kind of set the tone today in this doubleheader for the Cardinals. You're playing a Pirates team that you do believe you should beat up on. Cardinals have done that successfully so far this year. They've got still the one more game on Wednesday against them, and then they won't see him for a little while, but it's a division rival, so yeah, you'll you'll be seeing them again. But they've had good success so far this year against the Pirates, and, and that's what you're supposed to do. But on a day like today where it's 100 degrees and you're playing two games and you know that the, the main contributors for your bullpen are only going to be available for probably one of the two games, and then you get five innings from Matthew Libertor and you're in the lead and, and you're trying to lock down that game, and so you use your, your guys, you use your bullets right then and there to finish out game one. Like, it was just good the way the pitching plan developed today, but it started with Matthew Libertor. He deserves credit. I like that he was able to get five strikeouts. I think he can be somewhat of a strikeout pitcher. I know that's not really been totally his MO, but he's got a good curveball, got a, a real good slider that was on display today, and just good to see him have some success because I don't know that he's going to stay in the rotation right now. Uh, it's going to be Jack Flaherty tomorrow on Wednesday, and then Andre Pallante is the plan to piggyback behind Flaherty before, more likely than not, you see Pallante move back into the rotation where he's done a fine job. He's had a couple of starts, had the one in Chicago during a doubleheader last weekend, and then, or I should say, I guess two weekends ago, this past weekend, he pitched on Friday at Bush Stadium against the Reds, had a, a really fine start to where I'd like to see more of him in that role, to be quite honest with you. Five and a third innings that he pitched on Friday, didn't give up any runs, four hits, two walks. Solid stuff from Pallante. And so Libertor may kind of get boxed out. Maybe they keep him around as a swing man in the bullpen. Maybe they send him back to Memphis. I don't really know. A lot of that may depend on, you know, what the, the health status of the rotation is for the next five days. You got you to gotta plan this stuff a day at a time. You can't necessarily look too far ahead. But I like what Libertor brought in this one today. Again, he was just brought up for the doubleheader as the 27th man, and so he's probably on his way back to Memphis. But certainly showed today, which is something that you already should have known if you've been following his his progression through his minor league career, that Libertor's got the kind of talent that he's going to be a factor for the Cardinals uh, down the road, and I would even argue sooner rather than later. He's, I mean, he's a factor in the present. He had a really good game today on, on game one start and was able to, to set things up for the Cardinals in what ultimately became a doubleheader sweep. We've talked about the pitching. We talked about it a little bit. Like I said, I think the rotation is in a good spot. You've got Libertor that can come in. You've got Palante, who I think is going to end up sliding in. Flaherty really is going to be the X factor because if you can put him with a thriving Michaelis, a thriving Hudson, and Adam Wainwright doing Adam Wainwright things, you're going to have a really dynamic rotation 
And then you really like how the depth really kind of lines up. If you've got Palante, Libertor, other guys that can slide in behind if things do end up going wrong. Talk to the injury expert, Will Carroll, on the big show on KTGR on Tuesday afternoon. He didn't seem too confident in what's going on with Michaelis. I think with the injections that he's gotten, you, 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 I'm sorry, not Michaelis, Stephen Matz, I meant to say. That's my my bad. Stephen Matz, as far as how soon he could return for the Cardinals, I'm sure sometime this season you'll see him back, but it may just not be super imminent, which is okay for right now because you've got guys, knock on wood, that are they're healthy, and you've got Jack Flaherty returning to health, but... Uh, even without Mats for, let's just say, the next three, four weeks, if we don't see him back in the rotation, I still feel like they've got the depth to withstand some things if if uh, the injury bug were to strike again, which you don't want to see. But, I mean, Jordan Hicks could begin throwing again soon and return maybe in three or four weeks in whatever role that might look like. And so I feel like the Cardinals rotation right at this moment is in better straits and a better situation than it has been in at, at many other points throughout the season so far. So you feel good about that, especially after a day like today where you go, what, uh, doing a little bit of quick math here, but 14 innings or 13 and two-thirds innings between Libertor and Miles Michaels, and you give up just one run, and that run wasn't even the result of a hit. It was the result of an error that allowed that guy to reach base in the first place. So got to feel really good about uh, about the way things are going right now. He was It was an unearned run for Michaels, so his, his ERA looks pretty sterling for the day eight and two-thirds no Ernie's for Miles Michaelis but let's get into the offense we have got to talk about Paul Goldschmidt or I should say the MVP of the National League is that what it's going to be because he's been ridiculous just absolutely absurd he was four for four in game two with three runs scored and five RBIs reached base a fifth time on a walk so he's on base five times which sounds kind of familiar to what he did on Monday when the Cardinals beat the Pirates 7-5, remember the comeback effort? He didn't reach base five times, only four times in that one. Three for four with a walk last night. And some of you, I'm hoping this podcast goes on the Apple Podcast feed because the last couple of them have not. And if this one doesn't, I'm just going to have to really dig in with some troubleshooting and figure out why that is. But we talked a little bit about you know how, how fantastic he was just kind of rolling over after Sunday, losing the on-base streak. He doesn't care. So what does he do? He starts a new streak. A streak where he homers so far in three consecutive games. I tweeted it out. Four home runs in three games in two days for Paul Goldschmidt, who is just absolutely lighting the world on fire right now. Saw what he did on Monday, on base four times in five plate appearances. Game one today, two for four, three RBIs and run scored. Drives in all three of the runs that the Cardinals had. Two-run homer in the third inning, and then... Nolan Gorman basically should have earned credit for the RBI in the fourth inning. This was an amazing play. And and again, of all the things that happened today, maybe the Gorman play was, you thought for a time, oh, that's going to be the most interesting thing that happens today. And of course, it that changed into Paul Goldsmith being an absolute animal and then Miles Michaelis nearly going for the no-hitter. But in game one in the fourth inning, a play Nolan Gorman made, and the fact that it was the rookie who did this, I know that the broadcast, both the radio and the television broadcast, identified that the Cardinals, this is something that they have worked on, this play, this base running play that Nolan Gorman executed flawlessly. But the fact that it came up in a game situation and the rookie was the one who happened to be in that spot and he he executes it, he makes it happen, no problem. That says a lot, I think, about the preparation, uh, not only of the individuals on this team, 
where uh, talk about the work ethic on this Cardinals team. I think it was Rick Horton who said that on the radio broadcast for game two tonight, that this, the work ethic of this team collectively is, you know, just something that you don't, you don't see all that often. It's, it's really impressive. And the coaching staff does a really good job. Said that Willie McGee has called it, it with, with this coaching staff, with Oliver Marmel, one of the most professional environments he's ever been in, in baseball. And Willie McGee's saying that according to Rick Horton. So that tells you something, but it's not just the coaches, it's the players as well. The coaches that prepare the guys and then the guys who are clearly soaking up this information and, and being ready to put it into practice, right? When you get into a game situation, that's what Gorman did this afternoon. Okay, so let me set the scene for you. Fourth inning, in case you missed it. Fourth inning, Cardinals are leading in the game at that point. Scores 2 nothing. Got the two runs in the third on the Goldsmith homer. Bases are loaded, two outs. Gorman is at first base. It's Edmundo Sosa, I believe it's second base. I don't even know who is at third. Um, it doesn't really matter. He He's whoever scored the run. I guess I could look it up. Yeah, Brendan, stop being lazy. Look it up. Who scored the run? Uh, I guess it would have been Yachty. Yeah, Yachty batting before Sosa, and he had a run scored. So it would have been Yachty or Molina, I have to assume. And with Goldsmith at the dish, two outs, ground ball to short. And so basically a force out at second would end the inning, a force out anywhere would end the inning with two outs. But typically the shortstop maybe doesn't want to throw it all the way to first, a little bit of a riskier play, having to throw around a base runner that's that's bearing down Gorman going from first to second. And so he's going to get the out at second base, a sure thing, and that's going to end the inning. No run scored. Except for Nolan Gorman doesn't do what you normally would see a guy do going into second base. You don't overrun second base. You slide into second base, and if you get there, you beat the play, great, a run scores. But with two outs, this is something the Cardinals have practiced and planned for, and this is really the first instance that I can remember. I think I, I heard reference to the fact that it may have happened one of the, the weekends they were in Chicago, but I was a little bit all over the place that weekend, so I may have missed it. But what happened today was Nolan Gorman, instead of sliding into the base, he runs straight through it as though there was a base hit into right field, and he's trying to go first to third. I mean, that is that is truly the intensity with which he rounded second base, and because he's keeping his speed up, the shortstop doesn't necessarily see it coming. It was going to be a bang-bang play, but he was going to be out at second base if he if he slides in or he doesn't go in full bore the way he did. Gorman ends up being safe on the force out. There is no force out because he beats the throw to second base. But he rounds the base immediately, so now he's in a rundown. But that's exactly what he wanted to happen because by getting into the rundown, the guy with the ball is not thinking, oh, I'm going to throw to first base. Maybe I can get the force out there. The umpire, it almost took the umpire a second there at second base to recognize, oh, yeah, here's what's happening. I need to make sure I rule this guy safe because, and Gorman did. You can watch the replay. He beat the throw to second base, but then he just kept going. Didn't get tagged by the guy that was trying to force him out at second base. So now he's into a rundown, and Imundo Sosa's running now. He was at second, but he's made third, and so he's rounding to go home, and they're going to throw home, and then they're going to throw back to third. They're not going to get Sosa there. They're going to throw to second. Eventually, they get Nolan Gorman, and he's out. The inning is over. But the Cardinals were totally cool with that outcome. In fact, it was basically uh, one of the better case scenarios. I suppose the, the Pirates throwing the ball away and you getting extra runs or the inning continuing would have been the best case scenario. But the, the case scenario that the Cardinals were looking for there was exactly what took place, which is Nolan Gorman, instead of sliding into the base, he's going to overrun it. And by overrunning it, it gives him a better chance at getting to the base quicker to maybe avoid getting cut down on that force out at second base. And that was the entire key because once you do that, 
the runner who is Molina, right? So it's not like he's a fast runner at third, if that's who it was, which I do believe it was. It's not like you're going to get him there quickly. But by getting into the rundown, and eventually the inning's going to end, but the run has already long since crossed the plate. The only way that run doesn't count is by the Pirates successfully getting a force out somewhere else, whether it's second base or whether they had gone to first base originally. They don't get that force out. Once you tag him out, you know, 15 seconds later, 10 seconds later, whatever it is after the rundown ensues, doesn't matter. The Cardinals have already got that insurance run, and that's a deal they're willing to make. They're happy to do it because it, it's a guaranteed run at that point. If Gorman gets to second base safely and doesn't get, like, tagged out immediately, which didn't happen because he's rounding the base, nobody saw it coming. As long as he's safe on the force-out play, it's good. That's going to be a run, and that's exactly the way it played out. Really heady baseball, really smart baseball to just go ahead and you guarantee yourself an insurance run, and, and Gorman makes the sacrifice as the base runner. Just keep alive long enough to allow that run from third to officially cross home plate, no force out, that's a Cardinals run. So that was one of the coolest things that that had happened uh, at about, you know, 1.30 today. But once the rest of the day unfolded, it ends up being the, the bronze medalist at best for the way that the, the day kind of played out. Paul Goldsmith is just fantastic. I I just can't say enough about what he's been doing. Had a long segment today on the KTGR Big Show about whether Goldschmidt is the MVP at this point in the season for the National League. Um, spoiler alert, the answer is yes, in my estimation. And, like, he's the league-leading hitter right now in terms of batting average. He came into today, I believe, 338 was the average coming into the day. Or maybe that was even after game one, it was 338. Now it's 349. How do you raise your batting average? How are you the league-leading hitter? And then in the course of one game, you raise your average by 11 points as already the the league leader in batting average. It just is absolutely astounding what this guy's doing. His OPS is 1073. Little spoiler alert. There's nobody in the National League touching him in that category right now either. And after the day he just had, I'll have to look it up. He may very well have the triple crown that I care about, which is batting average on base percentage slugging. Home runs are great. RBIs are great for that matter, but I'm looking at the ratio statistics because I feel like that's going to give you just the best example of what a player is doing. You can't hide from a ratio. You just can't. And so the fact that Paul Goldschmidt came into the day leading the league in batting average, guess what? He's still there. And this is in an era where you've got six guys in the National League, if I'm counting this correctly. Let me make sure I get this right. I'm going to qualified players. Right now, I'm sorting it by all of MLB. You've got 13 guys, qualified hitters in Major League Baseball right now, who are hitting 300 or better. Paul Goldschmidt is second in all of the Major Leagues. I guess all both of them. To Luis Arise, the infielder for the Minnesota Twins, who's got a little bit of Tony Gwynn vibes, if you ask my opinion. Not a power guy, but Luis Arise is hitting 354. Paul Goldschmidt now up to 349. That's first in the National League, and second ain't close. Second is Jeff McNeil at 321. And in the NL, there are six batters with a 300 or better batting average. Six of them. That's it. He's hitting 349 in an era where that is the batting average environment. How about on base percentage? 431 is Paul Goldsmith's OBP to end the day. 403, Wilson Contreras is the only other batter in the National League above 400. That's a 28-point difference. 
Okay, let's look at slugging percentage. Guess what? He passed Bryce Harper today. That was the only thing Goldie did not have was the lock on slugging percentage in the National League. Bryce Harper, 627 uh, slugging percentage, pardon me, OPS of uh, 1,009. Goldie now, 15 points better in the slug, 642. OPS of 1073, which is 64 points better than Bryce Harper, who's the only other batter in the NL above 1,000. And this is from Paul Goldsmith, who had a terrible April. At least at the beginning of it, it sure seemed like it. Let me go ahead and pull it up. I'm going to I'm gonna do a little bit of box score uh, game log trickery here to make sure I understand what we're exactly dealing with. Like, okay, so he didn't have a terrible April, but it was not very Goldsmithian. At one point in April, April 21st, he was hitting 146 with a 466 OPS. He was slugging 195. So let's go a little bit arbitrary because by the end of April, he, he had those numbers up to 282 batting average and a 728 OPS. So he had basically turned it on April 22nd. That's pretty much where you can mark for Goldsmith that everything began to turn around. And this is not going to show today because I'm on baseball reference right now, which does not give you the game logs yet. It'll have to wait until after midnight, which it is after midnight central time now that I'm recording this, but we still haven't gotten the update on uh, the game log for what he did today, which was, by the way, pretty good stuff. You know, four for four with a walk in game two, two for four in game one. So what does that make him? Six for eight with a walk. So reaches base seven times in nine plate appearances. Six for eight with a walk. Had three RBIs in the first game, had five of them in the second. Six for eight, a walk, and eight RBIs to go with three homers for a run scored. It's just stupid. It's just stupid numbers for Paul Goldsmith. Here are his numbers since April 22nd. And again, this is an arbitrary endpoint, but this is really where the turnaround began for him. So when you say, oh, he's player of the month in May, and he's well on his way to player of the month in June, you're right, but it is his really good play began about a week before the beginning of May. Here he is since April 22nd. And again, this is only the June 13th. I'm going to have to do this all over again on tomorrow's episode because the numbers got ridiculously better today. Before today, 377 average, 452 on base, and a 689 slug for an 1141 OPS. I guarantee you that OPS is closer to 1200 now because he just went, what did, what did I say, 6 for 8 with a walk? Eight RBIs, four home or three homers, and a double. I think he mixed in a double somewhere. Paul Goldsmith is absolutely ridiculous. He's doing this at 34 years old. There's not even a conversation about an MVP to be had right now if these are the numbers and they continue as they've been. I just gave it to you. He's leading batting average by 20-some-odd points, leading on base by 15 points, leading slug by 15 points, whatever it is. Highest OPS in the National League by 64 points. And now you won't even really be able to have – it's so funny because I just got done saying – yeah, I don't really like the uh, the argument that you could maybe make for a guy like, and again, I don't think that voters would actually do this. I'm in the BBWAA. I don't think I'm going to be voting for that award, but you know, maybe one of the end-of-season awards, the, the baseball writers or who votes on these things. I don't think the baseball writers are going to be fooled by RBI as a statistic, even though I, I do think RBIs are valuable to your team for sure. But Pete Alonzo entered the day with a pretty big lead on Goldsmith. I think it was something like 50... Seven for Alonzo and maybe 48 for Goldschmidt. Now it's 59-56. Goldie is uh, only two homers behind. An absolute triple crown case right now. Not just the uh, the ratio triple crown, but Goldschmidt 
two off in homers, three off in RBIs, and he's leading the damn league in batting average by a by a long shot. So just absolutely astounding. Had to rave a little bit about Paul Goldsmith tonight. Just had to do it. Had to rave about Miles Michaelis. What a great job he's doing for the Cardinals. And, and again, this was a case where it was telegraphed. You knew that the Cardinals were going to need innings out of him. And I and I said today, this afternoon, on the big show, I said he's going to get at least seven innings. You know, that's the kind of outing that you think he can probably have, knowing that he's going to throw 115 pitches because you have to in a doubleheader situation like that. You've used your best relievers in game one. It's pretty telegraphed that you're going to let him go deep. He got to dictate that, though, by his performance tonight. It wasn't like the one against Milwaukee where he threw what his previous high was, 115 pitches. He gave up like six or eight runs or something ridiculous in that game. Nope, tonight no earned runs, barely even gave up a hit. Didn't finish the complete game, but it was smart to take him out at that point, 129 pitches. But just some truly remarkable stuff from him. And the offense at large deserves some credit, especially for what they did in game two. And we talked about, if you heard the podcast, if you're a Spotify listener, you maybe heard it. If you're Apple, I don't know if it showed up on your feed. I'm still kind of pissed. I got to figure this out. But from Monday, I mean, the fact that they scored seven runs over their final three innings, offense got going. Today, you look at game two, and there's just stuff to be happy about all over the freaking place. Three for five from Tommy Edmond, two runs scored. He led the game off with a homer on the first pitch. Poor Bryce Wilson, man. He cannot be allowed to face the Cardinals anymore. Starter for the Pirates. His ERA is 8.29 on the on the season now. The reason for that is he's faced the Cardinals in his last two starts and has given up 14 runs against the Cardinals. He did get through five innings today, which the, the Pirates pretty much needed him to do. Last time he gave up seven runs in an inning and two-thirds. Today he at least gave up the seven over five innings, but it was still ha- it still happened. The runs happened over the first two innings anyway. I think there was no outs in the second when the Cardinals had scored all those runs. Just ridiculous. Brendan Donovan continues to Brendan Donovan his way through this thing. Four for five, three runs scored in RBI. He's hitting 328 with an 884 OPS. Gorman was a cleanup man today, did a fine job. Two for four, or pardon me, two for five with uh, two RBS. His major contributions today, though, were actually defensively. He had a couple of really fine plays. One incredible dive to his left to help preserve the no-hitter before we even really knew what was going on. But the top of the order, I mean, the, the bottom of the order actually only collected one hit. It was Bader. If you look five through nine in the order, just Bader had a hit. But that's the thing. When you have an offense that has this many capable contributors, and Arenado got the, the game off for game two, Donovan played a third, had a nice uh, turn of a double play that uh, he began, and then Gorman had a nice turn from second to make it happen, 5-4-3. But the top of the order combines, I'm just talking about the first four spots now, Edmund, Donovan, Goldschmidt, Gorman. Those guys ended up combining for 13 hits and nine RBIs to go along with eight runs scored. Just a really nice job, and then you throw in a walk by Goldsmith as well. Those guys are on base. Let's do some quick math. 14 times in 20 plate appearances, if my quick math is correct. That's astounding. That is just an excellent job by, by those guys. And you think about, oh, yeah, what's the front of the lineup? That is what they're supposed to do. Well, Tommy Edmond wasn't the leadoff guy when the season started. I know he was last year, but he was kind of slated for the bottom of the order. Dylan Carlson was the leadoff man at the beginning. Edmund is showing that he is more than capable of getting it done up there. Great day for him. Donovan can bat literally anywhere. He's unbelievable, four for five. But again, he's not who you think of as like, oh, yeah, that's the top of the order. This guy wasn't even on the roster at the beginning of the season. So impressed by him. Goldsmith, yeah, that he counts. Gorman, not on the roster at the beginning of the season. So those are the guys that carried you today in game two offensively. 
just some pretty remarkable stuff right now that you're seeing for the Cardinals. Yes, you have to give the caveat that it's the Pirates, but hey, listen. It was a fun day. It's been a fun series for the Cardinals and has a chance to get even more fun with Jack Flaherty getting into the mix on Wednesday night. So, hey, we're going to get a little bit excited about it. Why not? Cardinals are back to 10 games above 500. They do remain in first place in the National League Central. The Brewers lost again today. They're 34-29. and 29. Cardinals are 37-27. and 27. Do some more quick math. That tells me the Cardinals are ahead by, what, two and a half games now? Two and a half games free and clear of Milwaukee for second in this uh, division. Or I should say the Cardinals are for the lead, and that's where Milwaukee is sitting in second. Pretty impressive stuff. Cardinals, I mean, they've got the makings. I know they're, they're not always going to get to play the Pirates, but to me, they've got the makings of a team that could end up going on a little bit of a run, and then you suddenly see them in that upper echelon of teams in the, not only the National League, but in all of Major League Baseball. Especially if that rotation stays where it is, gets a little stronger by Jack Flaherty coming back, and then the offense continues to find different contributors on different days, and, and Goldsmith continues to be uh, Babe Ruth, Tony Gwynn combined. Yeah, that wouldn't be so bad. That wouldn't be so bad. But that's what he's been. He's been really, really good. Try to remind me tomorrow to uh, look up his, his game logs from April 22nd, including June 14th, because what a day he had. But that's going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Excited to get back here on Wednesday. Talk about what Jack Flaherty has done at Bush Stadium, his first start of the season. The plan is 60 pitches, uh, but he's going to raise the intensity a little bit from whatever he did in Memphis when he threw 59 pitches the other day. So I don't really know what that means. He looked pretty intense to me in the way that he carved through the uh, Durham Bulls lineup. Again, that's AAA to be expected. He gave up one hit, and I believe it was four or five innings, something like that. Gave up one hit. It was a home run, but he had six strikeouts as well. No walks, I don't believe. So Jack looks really sharp, but he's going to get his chance on Wednesday. But that's going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. would be the best place right now because Apple Podcast is not even working. But eventually we'll get Apple uh, back up and rolling. So you can subscribe there as well, Google Podcasts too. Appreciate you guys, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.